Welcome to the Soccer Journey. I'm your host, Matigol, and I'm delighted to embark on this journey with you. This is our first episode and therefore a special one. As such, I wanted to invite a special guest to open up our podcast journey. This is why I decided to invite futsal guru Tony Torral. Tony is a special guest because he's a role model, a mentor, and a friend who has many, many years of coaching experience at different levels and more so in the futsal world. Without further introduction, Tony, welcome to the soccer journey. Matias, thank you so much for uh, having me here in the first episode. You know, it's really special for uh, for me as well to uh, kick off this soccer journey uh, podcast for you. I uh, mean, you know, it's been a long time uh, that I've always said and mentioned that uh, you were always a special player um, for me. You were one of the uh, smartest players that I ever had, uh, that I had the pleasure to coach. So for that, I'm also privileged to be a part of this soccer journey with you. Thank you. Yes, uh, likewise. You were one of my mentors in, in this uh, coaching journey that I started many years ago, and I always look up to you. So um, thank you for, for being here. Um, to get it started, uh, can you give us a little background about your your uh, coaching career and, and, and your early days and how you, you've been involved in this world for, for many years now? Yeah, you know, I, I started my coaching career really, really early. Um, I had the privilege to be able to start New York, Ecuador when I was only 18 years old. Uh, 1994, um, you know, initially I coached a lot of uh, players that were a lot older than me, right, and learned a lot from them along the way, and I was able to, uh, you know, really polish what I had to offer in terms of, like, my knowledge to other players along the way. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I always sought after was to improve myself, and in order to do that, I always sought out learning opportunities, you know, whether it was... Uh, here in the U.S., whether it was in Spain, Brazil, wherever it may be, I've always tried to, to, to sort of improve my knowledge of the game and at the same time just be able to uh, you know, implement that then later on. Um, it's now been almost 29 years um, of New York, Ecuador, and a few years before that where I had the privilege to um, really sort of look up to a lot of uh, mentors of mine from South America who, um, you know, gave me a lot of foundation for what I am today. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And you're currently more focused on the on the futsal side of, of the game, right? And, and you, what you're, you're doing senior level or you're still doing youth? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we first started, we did everything, right? It's soccer, uh, beach soccer, futsal. Um, I want to say more or less for almost the last 20 years, we've been almost uh, almost not not exclusively, but almost solely focused on futsal. You know, we still do some soccer here and there, uh, 11 v 11. We do go still do some 77 here and there. Uh, we sort of strayed away from the uh, beach soccer. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much been um, largely futsal for this long time. Uh, yeah. Senior level men, senior level women. Uh, U19, U17, U15. Um, it's sort of the groups that we focus on. We still have a developmental program for the younger ages, and we still work with them as well. Um, we try to do that program um, every Sunday, right before Fridays and Sundays, uh, just sort of to make sure that we always um, have a pathway for the younger players, right, to be able to have them then join us, whether it be uh, U17, U19, U21, and then hopefully in the senior team. Awesome, awesome. And you guys are based in New York uh, mostly, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, it's um, for the last few years, I want to say about eight years now, we've been in Westchester for the most part. We still do some trainings in, in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, 
Uh, we, we don't go away from the roots, right? You know, it's like we, we started as a, as a club in Queens and Manhattan. That's where we would hold our training sessions, right? It was, uh, I mean, you were a yeah, part of the many. Bull, the bull yeah, days, yeah, yeah. the practice in the pool days. That was back the good days, yeah. That's right. That's right. Back in, back in the pool, the reflective pool in Flushing Meadow Park. You know, the, make, the maker and the forger of many a great talent in, um, yeah. in the New York area. Correct. Uh, it was good to be part of that team. Um, moving on, uh, can you tell us a little bit? I, I know you're more involved in, in the futsal world, but um, for that reason, like the current landscape of, of futsal in, in the U.S. in general. Yeah, you know, uh, futsal, I think, is at its uh, prime right now, right? As compared to what it was back in the day, there's... Um, you know, so much more to offer in terms of like programming for clubs, for players, opportunities to play abroad. It, it exists just in so many more um, opportunities, like I said, as before. Um, you know, back in the day, it was U.S. Futsal Federation. Then it expanded into uh, we had U.S. Youth Futsal, our Super F League at one point. Um, and then United Futsal came along. Right. So now we have three organizations that sort of have their own programming. We have a lot of different ID programs throughout the U.S. that are offered for futsal. These ID programs then offer opportunities to travel abroad, whether it be, um, you know, U.S. youth futsal tournaments or um, trainings that are happening regionally that then they go into their national teams that go abroad or whether it's, um, you know, the experiences that United Futsal offers that then gets players selected to uh, train with professionals, not only here in the U.S., but also in Spain. Uh, I know they have one coming up that's going to happen in England. And, you know, it's just a lot of more, a lot more opportunities. And even as far as just the programming here, right, it's like now everyone can look forward to uh, three regional tournaments, three national tournaments, uh, a couple of international tournaments that happened with United Futsal in Florida. Um, and, you know, there's something for everyone all, all throughout the U.S., right? Uh, the West Coast usually has been the home for U.S. Futsal Federation, uh, the center of the U.S. for U.S. Youth Futsal, and then the East Coast for United Futsal. So, you know, it's like if you really, if you wanted to travel, if you don't want to travel, you still have opportunities to be able to get in some fantastic futsal programming. Yeah, so I, 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 that's why I asked you because I, I remember the when we started, there were not, there was one maybe uh, one option um, when we played for New York, whatever. But then I think we, we I went with your team. Uh, well, that was one of the first international uh, tournaments where we went to Spain. Uh, we competed. That was a good experience as well for the kids, and it was it was a great organization. I think that was the first one that they did, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, we were a part of uh, that trip to North Carolina where the Intercontinental Cup happened, and uh, right. it was a national championship. And then we were, um, you know, really fortunate to win that national championship, and then earn the right to uh, go play in go play in Spain. But prior to that, uh, you you were a part of uh, of a coaching staff that went over to Toledo for the first World Futsal Cup, in which we had USA Futsal national teams. Um, you know, and they played against Barcelona and other teams. Um, you know, I know that was a really cool experience for me, having been one of the first Americans to uh, coach against uh, FC Barcelona at that point. Yeah. It was just back in 20, in 2011, almost, wow, 12 years ago almost. Correct. Yeah, I, I was part of that, and it was it was great, especially to see how uh, the futsal world works in Spain. They're, they're on another level because they, they take it – almost as a different sport, like futsal and soccer are like two branches. And, and it was, it was great to see that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's really one of the things, right. It's like in, 
in Spain and Brazil, it's, you know, it's, it's their own thing. Um, in Spain, more so, you know, in Brazil, everyone um, pretty much only plays futsal till they get to about 11 or 12. And then once they, um, once they reach that age, then they, um, you know, the good, some players are chosen to play soccer and some players stay with futsal. But, um, but yeah, but it's, you know, everyone starts out with futsal. Yeah, um, and to go along with that, I I don't want this to be only about photo, but it is what what we're talking about. But also to relate it to to the big game in general. Um, I know it's been said hundreds of times, but how's the correlation, and how can photo help um, those uh, soccer players for outdoors? Um, from your own experience, if you could tell us, you know. Um... I, and I, I really want to say this, right? It, it's it's something where, you know, back in the day, some people would, you know, would say it's like, you know, the best soccer players come from the street, right? Some people would say, right? But I think the street was brought into the organized or made into this organized sport, which is futsal, right? And I do think that a lot of the best players come from futsal. Right. And you could say that, you know, some of those street players went into futsal, but I think the best players come from futsal. Right. And why is that? Right. I think because decision making, decision making, decision making, simple as that, you know, game IQ is essential for you to uh, just be outstanding in the soccer world. Right. It's no longer, in my opinion, or it can't really be that we relied solely on physical attributes, that we rely solely on uh, being able to do X, Y, Z or to be able to have X, Y, Z skill moves. And that's another, that's another story, to be really frank with you. Right? Cause I'm, that, that sort of component of soccer training nowadays is, uh, is something which I'm, you know, which I'm in favor, but at the same time, not in favor of in the extent that it's become in, uh, in the soccer world. But yeah, but like you said, right, for me, what happens with futsal is, you know, it's like creativity just flourishes and it grows when you're not being forced to do certain things, right? When you're not playing uh, U9, U11, and you're being told that your team needs to win, right? Where you're out there and you're enjoying yourselves, right? Where the game is your best teacher because you're getting the ball 300 more times than you are in a soccer field, right? When you are obligated to come out and play because you can't hide because there's no room to hide because there's only four of you on a pretty big court considering right and at the same time because of all these components you're giving this game awareness right um that just happens that doesn't that does not come or cannot come from being given a million instructions from a soccer coach or from a coach from your you know early age yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, that's and personally, that's how I grew up to playing uh, football and that 4v4, 5v5 scenario where you just got to, you know, and get the ball and make decisions and play freely. So I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, now, moving on, um, can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy in terms of uh, uh, player development, technical, tactical, fitness and mental resilience on that? You know, they all have to coexist, right? They all have to live together. Um, I think that's really important for everyone to sort of to understand, right? Uh, I know that some coaches, some old school coaches were brought up in a way where it was more of an analytical um, 
type training session, right, in which there was a lot of repetition, right? And there's still room for that, right? There's still room for that repetition to happen um, when players are trying to improve their technical skills, right? Even when players are trying to improve their tactical skills, right? And then some would say you're continuously doing something, then it's like you're going to bring that fitness component into it. Right. But I think the biggest aspect, right, of like integrated or global training, which is the way that most coaches nowadays are, you know, to try to shape their training session is to make sure that you're including that mental aspect. Right. That we're questioning players, that we're asking them to do um, many things and problem solve along the way. I think that being able to problem solve is the biggest problem in U.S. soccer, right, the U.S. soccer landscape. And it still is holds true, I think, to futsal as well. Right. Um, as coaches, we need to make sure that we're given we're giving players the tools to sort out different situations that occur on the pitch. That it's not just um, instructions, right? It's their own capability to be able to do that. Um, and in order to be able to do that, right, your training sessions have to have all these components, right? You have to be able to uh, sort of say, you know, X part of my training session is going to be, you know, analytical, right? We focus on te- on the technical aspects that I need my players to learn. After that. I'm going to bring in some tactical, but I'm going to bring in some tactical with conditions so that my players at the same time are developing their IQ and are working on things physically, right, to mimic game day environments and to mimic what it is that they're going to be doing on the actual pitch, whether it's soccer, futsal, street soccer, beach soccer, whatever it may be, right? These components together are necessary for a player to develop within a training session. Yeah, and then I just wanted to add to that, like, I I think a lot of or what I see in the coaching world out there. Um, everybody has the technical and physical part, but a lot of what's lacking is the tactical and the mental side of, of the game. And it's, it's not so easy to coach that, but I think with football, it comes a little bit more because it's so tactical and it's a lot of things involved. Um, and the mental side, that's that's the hardest part, I think, to to bring out in a in a in a training session. But like you said, it's, it's getting the kids to think and to make decisions of their own, which um, I think you, you bring that a lot. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we are not comfortable with as, um, as coaches or, or at least coaches when we're, when we're starting out is to ask questions. Right? One of the things that I've said um, for many, many years is that, when you're on the court, or you're on the field, the, the answer is always on the field. The answer is always on the court. You know, it's like no matter what it is, no matter what you think that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. It's like you can ask a player a question. You can ask them to all of them. And there's always going to be someone who figures it out. Right. And and I mean, and you, you were a part of this. Right. In my early years where it's like I would just stop and ask questions. The people would look at me like, what are you even saying? Like, what's going on here? Right. But that was the whole point. Right productive struggle i think you know it's like i'm also an educator and and in education we call it productive struggle right it's like players have to be able to struggle and feel pushed feel challenged to be able to come up with these answers these solutions right and it's not i don't think it's said enough i don't think it's used enough that productive struggle that should happen on the court on the pitch i agree 100 percent. yeah and that's that's where we as coaches i think we could do better and that's that's one of the i think it's a one of the pushes from u.s soccer as well from the uh last co- uh, courts gene courses that i've been taking um one more thing uh with that with um tactical part i know i know we we talked a little bit about it but 
it's it's and football we we use it a lot. But what do you, you think? It's also has to do with kids not watching enough soccer. A new generation. I think we we're lacking, or maybe it's not introduced at a at a younger level. Like the tactical side of the game is lacking a little bit, in my experience. What what do you think about that? You know, I think that what happens is that because um, you know it's been said so often that um, as a culture. We prioritize results a lot more. And I think some people maybe decided that prioritizing results means that we were too tactical, right? That we uh, were telling players to sit back. We were telling players to, um, excuse me, we were telling players not to, um, not to go out and play or to send a long ball or whatever it is. And, you know, and it's like all these things that then later on became um, stigmas. Right. And there's a place for everything. There's a place for everything. Don't get me wrong. Right. For to- totally. Is there a time to sit back, you know, um, and is that a tactical component that is used all over the world at high level sports? Right. And has a place. It's not a, it should not be a model of play. Don't get me wrong for younger age groups. Right. But does it have a place in the learning of younger players, I think 100% it does, right? Does being able to learn and recognize when to send a long ball and when not to have a place in youth sports as well? It totally does. Should that be your model of play, your main go-to? It definitely should not. But because of all these, right, because this has been said, I think a lot of people have sort of gone into this craze that we have. I mind the main, let me call it a craze of everything being one V one technical. Right. And it's like in everywhere you see, right. Instagram is filled with this, right? filled <laughs> with everyone. Everyone is just working mm-hmm. on, you know, one V one moves. And this is what I'm doing. And if I see another L turn come up on my Instagram feed, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm done. You know, it's like, it's yeah. over. Like it's everywhere. Right. It's like L turn, step over L turn, step over drag back push it back turn it over and do it again you know it's like if i see any of that combos any of those combos uh it's just a lot right it's just a lot and yeah it's important to get kids comfortable on the ball totally is but there's a point in which it's just too much right when you go to a recent football tournament um and youth sports and there was like a team a fantastic team great players right great players but every single one of them, when they got the ball, for the most part, it was just they were going forward and it was just 1v1 and and 1v1 and 1v1 and 1v1. And, and don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful thing to see. Right. All of us were were like at a very young age. We, we knew when to go 1v1. Right. I think I always made it clear. Right. I think, you know, this as well. Right. It's like when we played out the back, you know, one or two touches, make sure when we are creative part of the court. Right. We would try to do certain things. And then after we went to that attacking third, free flowing, it's always the way that I said to you guys. Right. It's like back here need to be organized over here. Let's bring out the creativity up top. Make it happen. Right. Make it happen. As the Brazilians say, make it rain. You know, go over there and just do, you know, do what you got to do. And I think that that awareness. Right. That again, that's tactical, right? That tactical awareness has to be brought in to this craze of the of the super um, player. That's like you know that super one v one player. That yes, that player can go anywhere, and they're going to be like, "Wow, this guy is so good!" You know, they're everything else. But when he's put on the pitch or on the court in Brazil or in Spain, are they going to be able to problem solve the way the kids there problem solve? 
you know, yeah. that's where I have my doubts, right? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and you touch on something that I, I I have a lot of big struggle with right now too, the the social media, the Instagram coaches, like, and and I struggle to to understand. I mean, I do understand what they do. It's it's good in a way, but um, the parents think and buy into it that that's the best way to do it. But where is and and I add this to one of these coaches is where's the decision making? Where's the where's the, the the decision that the kid? Uh, yes, he does. I don't know how to do all of this move. He he's great at it, but where's the defender coming in? How, when does he know when to use it and why or where in the field? And and uh, uh, when I asked this to a coach, he he got upset. Um, and and yeah, and then there's just like you brought it out, and it's it's like. As as parent as as coaches, we have to educate to the parents. I think in that sense, um, and and we just we see a lot of that online on Instagram, just uh, like hundreds of cones, and they're doing the same move over all over and over. But uh, I think it's it's good for us to educate parents that there needs to be other components, like like we just said, right? The the decision making part of it, which in in my experience in Spain, that's the main part. When they they talk when they're coaching from the warm up, there's they install that thing in the kids where they have to be making decisions, um, and then also you know, like the decision comes with the tactical part, like you said, where on the court to do it, where on the field, like, and those a lot of a lot of those things are are not brought out in this session. So thank you for bringing that out. I I thought it was just me going crazy over that. <laughs> uh, no, no man, it's a. Uh... You know, it right before the pandemic, like I, I started noticing that this was happening a lot. And I'm like, all right, you know, I get it. You know, kids got to be comfortable on the ball. Sure. You know, but then when people couldn't go out there and coach and, you know, the pandemic hit and all of a sudden it was like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And then the videos kept coming, the videos kept coming. And then now it's just blown up even more. Right. And, you know, and it's like it's got to be a part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's got to be a part of it. But it can't be that you just go out there and you see a bunch of, you know, 10 kids where whenever they get the ball, they make one pass. But then when they get it at a certain point and they see open space or they see a player coming at them, it's 1v1, 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 you know, and it's, you know, you know, you know, the old, the old saying, right? Right. The ball is always faster than the player, yeah. right? So you move that ball fast yeah, and you get, and you know exactly when to do it. Of course, you're going to need that magic, right? But when that magic when you get the ball at a good spot, then that magic is a lot easier. Um, yeah, it's one of the things that we discussed a couple of years ago when I was doing a clinic, right? And, you know, some people asked um, a player, one of my players that um, went on to play MLS and he was out there doing their, um, doing the coaching clinics with the kids. And they asked him, like, how many moves do you have? And he goes, he goes, two maybe three. Yeah. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, man, I have two go-to moves that help me. And every once in a while, when I'm in a tight bind, I may bring out this third one. You know, the reality is that's all I have. I have three moves. And they're like, would you play MLS? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Simple is better. I'm like, you know, like that's, you know, I don't think it's been, I don't think lately it's been said enough or emphasized enough. Simple is better. All right, I think you touch on a great point, and that's something that I've been looking at um, in in coaching. I was just doing summer camps, and there are not many kids that could play one or two touches. They were like the technical part first of all is lacking, then the decision making, and then we're in that craze where you just want to take on one v one and take on two three players all the time. So finding that is actually difficult now, 
And and me being a, a guy from Miami now, I've been looking at Ser, uh, Sergio Busquets. This guy is unbelievable on the ball. And he is slow, but his technique and his vision is is unmatched. And, and just being part of that, like, and I remember those are my era, Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets. Those guys made the simple things, and, and that was special. And, it, and nowadays, it's, I think it's hard to find that. But, you know, yeah, that's another coaching point that I think um, – the scanning, the checking your shoulders, the knowing um, where everyone is. I don't even think that people, you know, it's like, I would love to see a thousand videos of that. You know, it's like if you see a bunch of these 1v1 videos, but they're teaching a kid to scan and to check their shoulder along the way, I have no problem with that video. If, you know what I mean? It's like if you add that one little thing to that repetition, then now maybe this player is recognizing things when it's actually on the court or on the field, right? Um, but one of the things that you said is, is the reality, right? Um, back in the day, I used to always say, cause you used to always hear, uh, the coaches say, say to players, play fast, play fast, play fast, play fast. And you, I'm sure you heard me or remember me saying this a billion times. You're only as fast as you are efficient. If you play fast, just for the sake of playing fast, and you lose the ball and you're constantly defending, then you're playing slow in my opinion. But if you play a short ball because you're taking care of the ball, because you're trying to see what's open and you make that efficient pass, then to me, you're playing fast. You could only play as fast as you're efficient. That's been my thing now for 28 years, maybe, you know, and it's just, it's still, it still holds true in my opinion, because like you said, Busquets, right? You said, oh, but he's slow. I don't think he's slow. I think he's mentally super fast. And because he's mentally super fast, and he's mentally super fast because he's efficient, right? Because you rarely see him give up the ball. And it's not that he's just giving you a lateral pass. It's not. You know, most of his passes, yeah, he has lateral passes. We all do, right? But when you, he gets that pass, now he's trying to fill, he's trying to filter something through, right? He's trying to find that gap. He's trying to go forward. You know, that's being efficiency at its utmost. Right. And and I, I've been lucky to to uh, witness a lot of the recent games. And, and that's exactly efficient. These guys are efficient to the max. Like Busquets, Messi, watching them play live, it's it's unbelievable. And that's, that's the key word, efficiency. And Messi walks, you see, but he's not walking. He's scanning. He's looking for the right moments. And, and but... We're talking about Messi too. He's on another level, but just uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's uh, move on um, now. Um, what advice would you give to young players who aspire to pursue a soccer uh, career, a high level or college, um, and how can they best prepare themselves to for the challenges they might face? You know, as much as I was saying that, you know, you cannot. Um, only focus on being 1v1, right? I, I hope that I make, made it very clear that it has to be a part of your training as well. It can't be the only part of your training, but it has to be a part of your training. And I only say that because in order for you to be able to get to the next levels, right, whether it's college, whether it's professional, whether it's anything, right, whether it's you becoming an adult who enjoys going out there and, and playing semi-pro or 
or, or rec ball or whatever it may be, you need to participate in all facets of the game. You know, you need to allow yourself the opportunity to enjoy the game. And the only way you do that is if you are, yes, comfortable on the ball. Two, if you understand the game. You know, three, right, if you like prioritize the little things that are important, right? My defensive posture, right? My knowing when to do what I need to do, right? When do I pass the ball here? You know, when do I take a hit? When can I turn a player, right? When do I play it wide? You know, and this is now, this is soccer, right? And if it's futsal, right? It's prioritizing your ability to know that a movement is only as good, right? as what it contributes to your team. Now, you could have a thousand patterns, right? And this is for futsal and true to soccer. And these patterns look great when it's just me against nobody, right? And then when it's me against somebody, I may continue, I may continue to make a run or I may continue to do something, right? But that doesn't mean that I'm actually being productive for my team, right? I think that understanding all of these things, that enjoying the game, that becoming... I mean, particularly comfortable with all the facets of the game are what's really, really important for you or for anyone, right, to be able to pursue college, professional, high-level sports, or just to be able to enjoy it, you know, once you are done with that, once you're done with high school or once you're done with college. You know, and that being said, I said high school, but the reality is, you know, there's so many, so many more opportunities to play college soccer nowadays, right? It's like you have NAIA, you have the NJCAAs and Division One, Division Three, you have D1, D2, D3, right? And every, and it's good all around. I'm just going to say that. I know a lot of people criticize college soccer, but I mean, you have some really, really good D3 teams that may not do or may not have or be as physically gifted as some D1 teams. But because of that, the product on the field is actually so much pleasing, so much more pleasing to the eye. You know, and you have a lot of opportunities to go out there and actually be able to do. And because you're playing D3 doesn't make you less of a player than D1. You know, every year, I remember back in the day, um, <clears throat> I want to say it was back in like 02 or 03, I had a player who played in um, Southern Connecticut State University, D2. And he was one of the few players back then, you know, in the early stages of MLS that got drafted to MLS. He made the combine as a D2 player and got drafted into MLS. And I think after that, you know, there's been more and more players that get these opportunities that don't go the traditional route. Right. That go that maybe go to a Juco and then have the opportunities to go. Right. Yeah. Some of them are still playing for high quality clubs or whatever it may be. Right. But some of them are not. You know, it's like they may take them a little longer, but they're going to the professional route regardless. Right. It may not be MLS, but it could be USL. Right. There's there's a lot of other pathways as well as that. Um, Lately, one of the things that I've been saying that futsal has actually been struggling is because, you know, it's good and bad because there's a lot more soccer available than there was back in the day as well. I mean, almost any neighborhood you go to now, at least in New York, there's like two or three teams playing in any different division, right? I I mean, the amount of teams out here are just absurd. Especially in New York, it's like, and, and and like you're saying, there there are many more opportunities with all these leagues coming up. I can't even keep up with all the leagues coming up with 
Um, and, and in New York, especially, I know there are so many pro, uh, semi and pro teams. Um, so there are definitely more opportunities. So I, I, I'll say it with that too, like just finding the right, you know, environment for, for the players maybe might be a, a, a good thing. Yeah, no, finding the right fit's important, right? Uh, but again, because there are so many opportunities, right? It's almost uh, it's almost a sure thing that players bounce around, which is bad. Don't get me wrong. Right? It's also bad that they're bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around. But you know, it's also eventually you'll end up finding the fit for you because you're able to bounce around, right? Some people go to two or three colleges along their path, right? I just had a player you know, playing D one. Went to a D1 program the first year, was not a good fit. You know, now it's at a whole different other, at a whole other D1 program, right? And, you know, and so far, you know, they're happy, right? So much is happy. And then that's a, that's a big, that's a big deal. Um, I think that finding that right fit, like you said, is important at all levels, D1, D2, D3, right? Um, even JUCO, right? I also have some players that are, one of them is my current coordinator for my international things with futsal. You know, he played JUCO here, came over from Brazil, and he played in two different JUCOs, Um along the way because one of them was not the fit for him. And that's one of the discussion that I was recently having with a coach too. Like sometimes you want to be the one, but are you getting the playing time? And maybe that is detrimental to your development. And then maybe you go D2 and you're getting the playing time. You're, you're getting the, the experience that you need. You're, you're getting better. Uh, and, and that might be a better route for, for that player in particular. Um, it's not always about the D1 and being there uh, when you're not getting what you need. Oh, 100%. 100%. That, like, that whole stigma of I need to be D1 is more, um, it's more ego than anything else, right? Uh, like I said earlier, it's about the product. You know, there are, um, I'm going to say, you know, the, the NJAC in, in New Jersey, it's D3. And you have some players in the NJAC that can go play at any D1 college, right, if if that's the style of play that the coach wants. I mean, I can tell you that there's been probably a ton, all right, more than almost any other conference that's D3 players that play in the NJAC that have gone on to play professionally, not just in the U.S., but in Europe. I mean, it's ridiculous. The level of play in, in that New Jersey Athletic uh, Collegiate Association is tremendous. And they're all D3 teams. You know, but it's exactly like you said, a lot of those guys could go play for less time at a D1 program or could go play for less time at a D2 program. And they choose to go D3. You know, it's just for whatever reason, right? Their their personal preference. Um, And it doesn't make them less of a player, didn't make them less of a player. Right. Um, But, you know, there are some guys that are going to prioritize their ego and they're going to say, you know, I mean, I need to go D1 no matter what. And it's also a matter of access, like on a personal level, like maybe I didn't have access to D1 uh, and, and I couldn't, I didn't have the resources or, or the knowledge at the time. So I had to go to a different route. But that's a, another thing to keep in mind that some players just, they might have just arrived here uh, to the country and they don't, they don't have the, what they need. And they end up there. But they, they, like you said, you have some great players all, all around in all these leagues. 
Oh yeah, I mean, and that's that's a whole different story, right? Those those components, right? I mean, you and I both know about players that just arrived, or the players that, um, for whatever reason, they could not at that moment, um, you know, carry out a scholarship at a D one program or a D two program. Many were offered, many couldn't do it, right? And you know, a lot of them, right? Like you and I know the story of way too many of players like that, right? That didn't quite have those opportunities at that moment um but had the you know didn't get to live it but had the opportunity right but couldn't get to live it for xyz reasons um but yeah yeah and it doesn't mean that you couldn't do it right it doesn't mean that you still didn't go to college that you still got a really great experience out of it um that you were able to play that you're able to study that you were able to then improve your condition the conditions of your family and everyone else around you because of that right and i think that that is um, another thing that's extremely important to prioritize, right, is what you can get out of for your own development and not just on the pitch, right, but social development, right? Like I think that social aspect of uh, the importance of college because of pro sports, right, pro soccer has been really diminished um, with with the advancement of, you know, it's like, hey, you know, in Europe, you know, no one remember back in the day, right? In Europe, no one goes to college and then after college goes pro, right? Like everyone just goes pro. You know, it's happening here in the U.S. more and more. Um, there's a countless number of players, right, that right out of high school or they're still in high school and they're playing MLS too. And now they can never play college per se, right? It's it's That's, it's a great great experience, college, and I, I have to thank you. Now, take I, I probably uh, never did that, but you got me into college. You know, if you remember, I didn't I didn't want to go to college. I said, "Oh no, I, I'm I'm gonna work." And you said, "Just come play for us um, at, at uh, Hunter College." I remember, and and I actually got a degree uh, in PE, which I I never thought I would have done if I if I just didn't, you know take that chance and go play. And I actually enjoyed that. Uh, I think the reason why I finished my college was because I, I just enjoyed playing. So I, I went for, for, um, for, for the experience, but I ended up getting a degree. So yeah, that was, that was something uh, that I wanted to thank you for that. Um, uh, of course, yeah. of course. No, thank, thank, listen, thank you for trusting always. Right. And just like you, and there's a lot of other players that trusted along the way. Right. And just, and, and listened, Listen to what was, to what it is, right? For me, it's always been more than, more than futsal, more than soccer, right? It's about creating and empowering the lives of young men, right? To become men that empower other young men, right? And and women, right? Other young men and women to do um, and to follow what it is that they need to do to increase um, or to better themselves, right? Along the way and improve in their social condition. I mean, that that's really what it's all about. You know, it's never just sports right it's it's an avenue right but it's never just sports right? and i think that that's extremely important right and this is why you know it's like you asked me hey, can you be a part of this soccer journey and it's like that is like this is the journey right like you said right it's about you know soccer to improve your life's journey right soccer to better someone's everyday life right like that is the journey right and in soccer it's super i think culturally 
right? I think soccer, as opposed to other sports, is something where you know you can, can still continue. Where you're sixty, you're a sixty year old you know, walking through Flushing Meadow Park and just see a pickup game, and you're like, "Hey, I want to join in there," and you just go ahead. And guys are always going to be like, "Come on in, welcome you," right? And if you're terrible, then they tell you you're terrible, and <laughs> you sort of like play a few minutes and you sit out. And if you're okay and you're there, they're like, "Oh man, the old, the old man must have been a bowler," and just keep on, and you and you're there and you're playing regardless of the of your age of whatever it is right it's always welcoming right and anywhere in the world right there's always that universal language right you could be in brazil you can be in spain in italy wherever it is there's a ball playing and a game playing somewhere in somewhere in the street uh neighborhood wherever it may be uh and someone kicks the ball you get the ball you pass it back do you play do you want to come in and you know it's that universal language no matter where you are so, I mean, that's really important, right? And that's why I think that this is a really great space, right, for everyone, right, to be able to continue to live and understand that the soccer journey is a life journey. Correct. Yeah, that, and that's why we're, we're started this uh, podcast. We're just um, touching on all of those things. Now, um, we're moving on. We're, we're getting a couple more questions, and we're getting to the end. So I wanted to ask, um, I, I know you're currently doing a license, uh, but uh, – Along with that, like, what what are the some of the things that you do to to stay uh, current in you know in the in the coaching uh, world and also in terms of maybe new materials and technology? What are some of the things that you do for yourself? You know, it's um, there are a lot more resources out there now than there were before. Um, I've always, just like you said, right, sought out whether it's to create bonds with people in Spain and, you know, go through their coaching education, whether it's to do it here in the U.S., whether it is to, uh, you know, do it in Brazil. Like you said, I'm currently doing my Brazilian A license in, uh, in futsal and the resources that come along with that and the people around you that provide resources that come with that are um, just huge, right? Um I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made as as a in my career as an early as a young coach early on was that I didn't continue to pursue my my soccer licenses. Right, I had my national C probably in '02 and never continued after that. Like, I never went to get my B, never went to get my A, and it was so much easier back then. Don't get me wrong; I knew I knew that it was. Um, but I just, you know, just never did. You know, I sort of then maybe, you know, I did coach college soccer a little bit after that. And then after that, I just sort of focused a lot more um, in futsal. Yeah, and I went on to pursue a lot of these things in futsal. But I, I really do believe that, you know, even if you, whether you're involved in soccer and futsal, wherever it may be, it's like go out there and continue to pursue the opportunities, all this knowledge, right? Uh, and just get the most of it. That being said, one of the things that I think that is most important and most impactful for me in terms of the... Uh, the futsal world is that people are really willing to share everything in futsal. Um, everyone is able to like, everyone was willing to say, Hey, you know what? Let's talk about this. Or let's talk about, you know, oh, I have this program that I utilize to cut videos, you know, and then from this or, you know, and then from that program, I, I go out and then I use this to track the data that happens. You know, it's it's just everyone. It's just like it's like we are as a community in futsal, maybe because it's still underdeveloped in terms of sport. We are just very much a learning community that strives to share as many resources as possible with everyone. Um, I think that's you know one of the things that I've you know per, per, personally like 
gotten from, right? It's like that we're always out there you know, working with others and talking with others. And we're always able to get something from someone. Um, and that then it's just how you utilize it, right? To continue to make it better for yourself or to continue to improve yourself as a coach. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's going out there, seeking the opportunities, going out to the coaching associations, you know, wherever it may be, um, and then continue to improve yourself that way. Um, but a lot of it, you have to be willing to put in the work, right? And you have to like not think that one thing is, you know, not as good as the other, right? It's like I've... At this point, I've done education in in the U.S., in Spain, Brazil, and every I've taken something from every single one of them to become who I am as a coach. And I think that that's important for everyone to uh, to understand as well. You know, and then even from where I am right now, you know, I hope to be able to go out and get my UEFA license for futsal next year. Um, you know, and just work off of that. You know, it's you know, it's again, it's all out there. Just got to make sure that we continue to look for it. I think that you mentioned something uh, very important there, like just pick and choose what works for you, what you implement in your environment. And, and that's something that I, I'm kind of working on, too, like just get into these courses and education um, um, things in order for me to choose and see what could apply to my environment. So before I didn't have this mentality, I was just like, oh, this works. Like you said, so sometimes we, we think, oh, this is good. This is not good. But. I think we can learn from from every single one of those uh, resources and and apply it uh, and apply it with what works in, in our environment. Oh, 100 percent, one hundred percent. I mean, and you, I mean, you also lived this with me, right? Where it's like when we first started, people would be like, "Oh, well, you guys aren't really playing futsal," and I'm, I would I would always be like, "I am doing what I think is best for the players that I have, what they can understand." And then for them to be able to do this, right? And I remember it's like it's funny because one um, there was a there was back in around 2008 um, after we beat a, a bunch of pro players from the indoor league, where with, with everyone with about 18 or 19 years old, they told one of the one of you, they told one of you guys they were like, "Oh, you guys beat us like not playing futsal," and I'm I'm like, "Okay, um, we played with the same rules, we played on the court." We had five players, so did you, and we were just tactically better than you were, you know, and it wasn't like me as a coach, right? It was that every single one of you on that court, all the players, you guys interpreted, right? Or I was just able to say, here, this is what I think is best. And then you guys made that work, you know, and there's really no secret to that, right? It's a matter of always buying in, right? It's a matter of players buying in to what a coach thinks is best for them, right? And like you said, it's that environment, right? You take off all these different things, but you have to be able to know what works best for your players, right? Because no, you can't, you can't, all right, bad example perhaps, right? You can't bring Manchester City style of play, Manchester City or old Barca mentality, right? Or Barca mentality to the U.S. women's national team right now, with the current players they have in their roster. Those players need to play differently than that. They're not going to play the same style of play as the players that were on that team four years ago, right? And that's exactly what it comes down to, right? That as a coach, you have to be able to, yes, get all this information. Yes, get your and create your own style of play. But even that own style of play is going to vary, right? And should vary based on who you have on your team and what they're virtues and limitations are correct yes um 
And now, finally, uh, what do you enjoy most about coaching young players uh, and what continues to motivate you to make a difference on this uh, player on and off the field? Wow. Um, you know, it's it's moments like this, Matias. It's being able to, um, you know, share a space like this with um, someone who I once called a, you know, one of my players who is now a colleague who is now, you know, successful in their own right, who was able to do, you know, many different things. Like this is what it's been always been about, right? It's like, that's what I continue to enjoy. I continue to enjoy that I get to go to Brazil and I get to play against the best teams in the world. And I have some players that say, Hey, you know what? I may play for the best team in the world right now in, in futsal, but I would love to change my life and change my family's life and go study in the U.S., go play soccer in the U.S. Can you help me? Of course. Like, that's what it's always been about. You know, it's always been about, you mentioned it earlier, right? That improving everyone's life around around me, right? Around what it is. It's, you know, it's never been, I, I say that someone said to me not too long ago, why do I go on New York Ecuador's Instagram? And I can count the amount of times that I see you in a picture. And I'm like, that's changed over the last like six or seven months or maybe the last year. It's changed. You see me more in pictures. But if you look before that, you never saw me in pictures. And I only changed that because this guy, you know, said that to me. And I was like, you know what? Because it's always been about the players. It's never been about Tony. It's always been about getting players to play on a national team to go to college, to improve, to get opportunities, right? To get and build their own programs. And for me to just be happy in the background, seeing that, hey, you know, we did something good. Over the last year or so, that's changed a little bit for me. It's like, you know, but at the same time now, it's like, we've done this, right? For a lot of different people, right? They've done and people have whatever it is. And it's some, someone was like, you know, I think it's time that you start putting yourself in the front forward too, right? Like promoting yourself. And I'm like, all right, you know, I guess it makes sense, right? I'll never lose that, um, that whole messaging behind what it is to be and to do what, what I do, which is um, the players and, you know, the club, right? Um, when I was interviewed recently after a game in Brazil, uh, they were like, what does this mean? Right. And I, and I, the first thing that I said was, uh, I have, I don't have three kids. I have four. New York, Ecuador is my oldest child. Um, you know, and when I say my oldest child, I include you and others that have played in New York, Ecuador, right. As you know, part of this, you know, community where we, where we, like anyone who's been in a leadership capacity in New York, Ecuador, cares about someone else. Um, and when I say leadership capacity, like, for example, I'll include you right now, right? A hundred percent. Because along the way, you've helped someone that has played for New York, Ecuador, because you played for New York, Ecuador, right? Or because you were part of this club or team. And other play, and you've also gone and, you know, you worked and you saw you were in Spain with... Alejandro, right, who has also played for New York, Ecuador, right? And it's the same thing, right? It's the community. 
And like I said, and it's just not true to New York, Ecuador. This is true to, like you, like I said earlier, to soccer, to the soccer journey, right? Once again, this soccer journey is like the perfect, perfect title to this because, you know, it's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is, right? It's like everyone has to continue to work off this community-oriented. At least that's the way I've always seen it, Right. Yeah, and, I, and I'm I'm witness of of the many opportunities that you provided for a lot of our players, so not just college, but I know you got some professional opportunities for some guys too in in uh, indoor soccer, futsal, and maybe outdoors too. So um, I, I know that a lot of people are, are thankful for for the opportunity and, and for for all of the things that you provided for them. Thank you. Thank you. No, yeah, of course. That's what it's all about. All right. All right. So we're getting close to the end. Uh, we're going to do a uh, rapid 10. All right. You got to right. do 10, uh, three seconds. You pick one or, or you give me your, your answers. It's it's quick. All right. Uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Good. Premier League or La Liga? Still La Liga. I know some people are going to hate that. Still La Liga. <laughs> It's, it's been a long journey. Okay. Maradona or Pelé? I'll say Maradona, but each of them in their own era. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, this one is a tough one, too. Three uh, top three national teams in, in uh, actual time, in current time. Argentina, France, Brazil. I'm still going to include Brazil in there, even though they're underachieving. Correct. Yeah, Brazil. I don't know. But yeah. All right. Good ones. Uh, Pep Guardiola or Mourinho? Always Pep. <laughs> uh, you can ask me that in 20 years, Nick. And Mourinho could win a thousand more titles and Pep Zero would always be Pep. Yeah, it's two, it's two different. Yeah, I know. That's a, a, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, top three players in the world at the, at the moment. I mean, wow, that's extremely hard. Uh, I'm going to have to say Mbappe, Holland, and still Messi. Good one. All right. Um, one team you support. Barca, Mexican club. <laughs> Barca, always Barca, yes. Nike, Adidas, or other? So, um, you know, we just, the, brand, the brand that sponsors New York, Ecuador, so I'm going to have to say Umbro first, but you you, you know that it's, uh, it's always a Nike thing for me. Yeah, I remember the good old days where uh, Nike sponsor. I, 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 I need one of those too, one of those, uh, the new um, New York, Ecuador jerseys. All right, I, I commit to sending you one of the ones like this polo shirt that I'm wearing. That way, you can wear it in a future Soccer Journey podcast. Sounds good. That one looks lovely. Uh, River or Bo- uh, River or Boca? Boca. Yes. And one goalie. Just because it's recent, Gigi Buffon. Oh, that's a, he just retired. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah. A legend. A legend in the game. Precisely. All right, Tony. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for everything that uh, you've done for me and for many other players. And uh, uh, hopefully we, we keep in touch um, like we always do here and there. But um, once again, just thank you for, for being part of this uh, soccer journey. Thank you, Matias. Thank you so much again for having me. Um, you know, I'll continue to follow along. I'll share it up in uh, any of our any of your platform, all of my platforms, right? Once it's up and going, and um, and I also hope to be back. Right, hope to be back at some point to uh, continue to see and talk about uh, the progress of the soccer journey, your own progress, um, and again, you know, just um, 
Like, like, and I don't know that I've always said this to you, but I'm super proud of everything that you've done in your own career and how you've developed as well. Thank you, Tony. Uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and, and we'll, we'll have you back. Uh, the episodes will be up and running in, in a, uh, just a couple of weeks. So awesome. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.